Welcome to Cat Chat, the pet talk podcast devoted to the physical and emotional well-being of cats and their people. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment. This show is brought to you by Dr. Elsie's, where they speak for cats, which is what this program is all about. My co-host is the feline expert, Dr. Michael Maria Delgado, along with other cat authors and experts. The show is made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, a company privately owned by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose mission has been to personally formulate a wide variety of litters for all types of cats so they keep using their litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. Dr. Elsie also created his own cat food called Clean Protein, wet and dry foods that are specifically appropriate for a cat's nutrition needs because they're based on the protein a cat eats naturally. Clean Protein is the first dry cat food I personally can recommend because it is based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Please show your appreciation that Dr. Elsie's underwrites this show by choosing their products whenever you can. My next guest is an experiment, an experiment on this show to have a listener who very kindly wrote to me and got in touch and we'll talk about why she got in touch with me. Have a listener join me on the show, and we can just be two chicks chatting, if you will. I'm sure that's politically incorrect now to call women chicks, but too <laughs> bad. About, in her case, things to do with cats and cat ownership and what other people misunderstand and maybe do wildly wrong with their cats um, from ignorance, from misunderstanding of who a cat is. And I think that could be an interesting conversation to have. As you all know, I usually have people who are either authors of books specifically around animals or many of the experts who have multiple letters after their names, multiple letters. And actually, Deborah Blaine has letters after her name. She is a human medical doctor and was for many decades, but she's really here as a fellow animal lover and maybe slightly frustrated or perplexed about animal owners. And what are they thinking? And why aren't they thinking a little better? So, Deborah, I want to welcome you to the show. And thank you for doing this experiment with me, because I I hope that in some way it might encourage other people, the, the slightly bolder, braver, more confident ones, to write to me. Uh, you wrote to me on LinkedIn, and it was a miracle. I saw it because I don't really look on LinkedIn. Or to Tracy at TracyHodgnerPets.com and say, you know what I'd like to talk to you about or with you about? And I would, I think it's a good chance for John Q. Citizen, if you will, to be able to talk on this platform about things that matter to him or her or them with me, and maybe inspire the rest of you to think differently about the pets in your life or the people and their pets in your life. So, Deborah, welcome to the show. I guess the first thing to do is kind of place you in the universe as someone very interested on topics that I thought, really, seriously, that is interesting. Tiny things, but very interesting. But you were a person of substantial profession and professional accomplishment before you became someone who does something else that's very interesting, but maybe not as socially dramatic as being a doctor. So you're a cat mom to Sammy Cat and Midnight, but tell a little about who you are before we talk about the topics that you want to 
wanted to write to me about it. And I said, oh, come, let's talk about them in real life. Well, okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, on your show. That was like such a, an honor and a surprise to hear you say that. Um, and you can call me a chick. I mean, you know, at my age, if somebody wants to call me a chick, I ain't going to argue That's what that. I'm thinking. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm on, I spent over 30 years practicing human medicine, and, but I've had, I've had cats um, continuously for the last 53 years, I think, or wow. since, well, since I was, since I was 18 or 19, so I'm not going to tell you how many years that right. is, but it's Plenty. a lot. And, um, yeah, and I've also, I grew up with a dog. I've always had, had pets. I, I kind of always wanted to be a vet, but when I applied to medical school, there were only six vet schools in the country. And is that right? Started, wow. Yeah, it was, well, so that was, I started med school in 83, but that was after college and a little graduate school and whatever. But anyway, so I went into the human sphere. I mean, humans are animals too, right? And in fact, humans can sometimes be really animals. But um, <laughs> any, <laughs> Usually at football games or actually at rugby games, but that's another conversation. Yeah, we'd like to, we'd like to limit it to those games. Anyway, um, so... Um, Remind me later, I'll tell you in the ref- in reference to one of my cats why I say that. Um, but so after, you know, the, the medical profession has really become a very challenging place to not only work, but to be a patient in. Uh, everything's become for profit. And one of the podcasts I listened to um, that you had was about a, 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 veterinar- a veterinarian who was talking about, you know, you got to have your eyes open when you go to vet school. And I kept thinking, well, you know, it, not only in terms of the training, but what's happening to veterinary practices is what's, you know, they're kind of on their way to follow us. And that's really sad. But so, um, so anyway, I left the hamster wheel of, of medicine for a variety of reasons. One of them was because I got sick and I got better, but I didn't want to go back to that. So now oh, I've also written five books. And so that, you know, I thought, well, okay, I know how to write and I like writing. So I became a, I did a lot of training and I became a freelance writer and I'm focused on the pet industry, shelters and uh, veterinarians and people who do things for pets and even in the pet industry, if it's a product I believe in. So um, I feel like I can make a big difference with my books and with writing in support of organizations in ways that I couldn't do as a doctor, because as a doctor, I'm basically, you know, going from room to room to room to room, and it's not very satisfying anymore. So, um, so that's where I am now. I'm a freelance writer for pets, and I'm an author. And what was the other question you asked? What well, did I, that what was did I, that um, was mostly it. I mean, I really loved when you wrote and you said you were a human physician for 33 years, but I always say I should have been a vet. Even my vet tells me yeah. that, and that's really <laughs> darling because so many people. So many people that love pets think they should have been a vet. Uh, only a very tiny portion of them even get even close to going to medical school, human or animal. And it's very interesting how when you went to human medical school, it was easier to get into. There were more opportunities than for vet school. And I remember being told decades ago that the veterinary profession wanted sort of like unions that, you know, don't want more people to come into the job, that Mm. they wanted to limit how many vets there were to kind of have job security. And then everything changed. And 
There's now, I want to say 26, but it could be 30. I forget the number keeps rising of veterinary schools and colleges in the U.S., but also some of them abroad, which on the one hand tells you, wow, you know, a need and de- demand and supply obviously came into place and pe- more people got pets, particularly ones that lived indoors, that they were more attentive to in terms of their physical well-being. But then you bring up this interesting point of how the veterinary field as medical practice has these kind of consolidator amalgamators who buy up practices. And in some cases, in theory, they are helping them to run the practice better from a professional standpoint, from a financial standpoint. Others are dictating to them how they can be doctors, how long they can spend in the exam room, what tests they should run for profitability, things they shouldn't do because they're unprofitable. But I don't know that we should paint all of it with such a dark brush because it's sort of like when I first was researching pet food and you dug a little under the surface. We're going back 20 years before I wrote The Dog and the Cat Bible. And you'd read these alarming things. Oh, my God, they're putting dead dogs with their collars still on into the pet food. Mm-hmm. So you read that and you think, what? The what? The flea collar and the rabies tag are in the kibble or in the canned food? It was absurd. But there's some part of yeah. us that likes to believe the very worst, Deborah. So in the same right. way when I'll, I... I'll just tell you, having worked in those in that environment in a couple of different um, corporations, uh, I can tell you that it... it I mean, I'd, hopefully it's not... My, my own vet was just... Uh, he just was... Um, he sold to a big corporation, but he says they're treating him very well. And that's how it started for in human medicine, too. But it, it, it kind of deteriorated. But um, they're not yeah. all bad, though. Deborah is the point. Some of them. No, 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 no. Are, nobody, but but there's 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 different versions of it. There is the one when Judy Morgan had a show with me for for a while, and there's still podcasts of it called Holistic Vets, and she had two clinics in New Jersey, running two clinics as a holistic doctor. And she did acupuncture. She did a lot of Chinese food therapy. She did a lot of you know marginally interest things that were on the margins of regular veterinary care and. I said, God, you're just running from pillar to post. You must be exhausted. Why don't you let, and then I said the name of a company that buys up a lot of, a lot of clinics under their umbrella, and then, they're, then they have the acronym of their name in front of the clinic name. She right, said, right. I would sooner never be a vet again. I have friends who sold mm-hmm. out to them, and emotionally it devastated them what was done to the practice. On the other hand, you know, the, there's, the there's other ways of doing it. With medicine, I'm not saying anything bad about the veterinary, you know, how that's going for veterinary practices. Uh, human medicine is about 15 years uh, ahead. And so I can only speak to what's happening there. But I can tell you that I, I fear for the pet industry. I do. But um, the thing that I originally wrote to you about, I think, was um, just the, the general, I don't want to say stupidity, but Ignorance, the, the general ignorance of, of people when they deal with their animals. And um, so if I, if I can tell you the story. Yes, please, because you wrote it to me and it was, it was riveting to me. I thought somebody actually thought this. So, yes, please. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, there, um, so, little, so I had Sammy Cat. Sammy Cat's 14 years old and 
um, this little cat comes to my door. It was three years ago, just, just about exactly three years ago. It was the day before the first blizzard in New York. And, and this, uh, I, a friend of mine down the block had broken her arm. And so I had gotten some food and I was, and it was COVID, right? It was, it was January, 2021. And I had put some together for her and I was walking out to go give her some food. And I kind of attribute the good fortune of meeting midnight to my, my neighbor breaking her arm because I walked outside and there's this little cat sitting right by my front step. And I said, Oh, hi. <laughs> and she meowed. She meowed. And I said, um, and I'm holding up the food. I, I, I gotta go give this to Marla. I, I'll be back. And I walked away and I came back and sure enough, she was still sitting there and she meowed again. I said, are you hungry? She meowed. <laughs> I went inside I got her, you know, a can of food and a little bowl, and I put it out for her, and she inhaled it like she hadn't eaten in, well, it turns out she probably hadn't eaten in a week. And, and I said, are you still hungry? And I gave her some dry food on top of that. And I, this was, so this was like, it might have been the 1st of February. Right. And it was, it was pretty bitter cold. And so, so this is, you know, one of those things that people don't understand is that when it's really cold, uh, any animal has to move more to stay warm, which means they need more calories. So right. I gave her, I gave her some more food, and and then it then we had the blizzard. But then the next day after the blizzard, she showed up at my door again. So is she hungry again? <laughs> yeah. So I fed her again. I started feeding her twice a day, and eventually I found because we my community is a pretty close community. We have a Facebook group. And I, I put up a thing, does anybody belong to this little sweetie? And nobody answered. But then through the grapevine, somebody said, well, because we're not supposed to feed the stray cats. Somebody said, yeah, you know, so-and-so in number 54-ish, I think she's been feeding. But she was away. So when she came back, I, you know, I, I ran into her and I said, hey, are, are you feeding little Midnight? She said, Midnight. We call her, <laughs> they had a whole different name for her which was not very politically correct either. They were calling her Chinese cookies because the first thing they gave her were Chinese cookies from the restaurant. But, um, and, and she said, yeah, we, had, we went to Florida for a month, but I did have my friend come and check on her twice a week and feed her. I said, twice a week? <laughs> it's 25 wow. degrees out. Twice a week. And, you know, like I didn't say that to her. I said, well, well I'm feeding her now, so it's all good. And, and that was just like, it just astounded me that anybody would think, that feeding an animal two times a week, even if it was summertime, would would be sufficient. I mean, the the story goes on. This horrible horrible story. This is obviously she obviously had a loving home at some point. I don't know what happened to her original owner, but she was you know kicked out or abandoned or what. And she was also abused because you know I can just tell by the way she's so scared of everything. And then I had her in the house for four months and she got bladder stones took her to the vet. And at that point, I was thinking of rehoming her because my other cat was just not, I mean, now this cat for six months, I said, I would sit outside with her. She'd eat out of my hand. She'd purr. She'd let me pet her. She was just a dear, darling little kitty. And she'd roll over and show me her belly. And like, she's, she's a very submissive, gentle cat. My other cat, Sammy, not interested. And she was miserable. And I, and really like taking it out on me. And <laughs> one day she's she's passing the room at midnight's in and she looks in the room and I said, Sam, and she stopped. She looks up at me and she hissed at me and kept walking. <laughs> it was like, this is your fault. <laughs> she kept on well, going. what's interesting but, about that, Deborah, is that you were really surprised and 
I, too, to the point of being horrified that somebody would leave a cat on Long Island, which has winter weather on the East Coast, for a month in January, and somebody was supposed to come twice a week to feed a cat left outdoors with no shelter. I mean, it's straight-up animal cruelty. I mean, there's nothing short of that. There, I mean, how ignorant can you be? If, if she had lived with the cat, she knew the cat should have been eating twice a day to begin with. So right. that's pretty <laughs> ridiculous, but, I mean, quite horrible. And I guess there's other people like that. Another th- thing you wrote me, and in a second I want to talk about introducing cats to each other, and your cat was right to be cross with you, but there was a way, and eventually you did find a way, <laughs> to bring Midnight Indoors. But you said that another neighbor told you that they thought cats were cold-blooded, so frigid yeah, weather yeah. wouldn't bother them. And these were compassionate, educated people who actually who, believed who that. Just like, don't know stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind <laughs> of astounding. I, I don't know how often any of us stop and question the kind of... Um, I don't know, have two plus two equals four of people who in their regular life, you know, manage their lives, their business, they drive a car, they look at signs, they know to fill up the gas. And yet where these animals are concerned, they're just out to lunch. It's interesting because it makes us frustrated. When I first was doing Cat Chat Live on Sirius and I would tell everyone about dry food and kitty crack, and people would call in and they'd apologize. I'm sorry, I just heard the tail end of that. Why shouldn't I feed dry food? I was always told it was good, and I would explain over and over. I said, no, no, I don't mind saying this. A hundred times a day, obligate carnivore, must have wet food, must have protein only, not all, no, no highly processed carbs. And they would say, oh, I get it. That makes perfect sense. And they'd call back the next week. I was in the supermarket, and I was trying to tell the people not to buy the bags of dry food. And they were getting mad at me. You know, there's, it's very hard to learn something and try to tell somebody who doesn't know that thing or maybe doesn't know anything the right thing to do. I mean, I do it every week because I'm bossy britches and wrote the book and I have all these wonderful experts with letters after their name to back up what I say. But it is hard. It's hard when you learn what the right thing is or the logical thing is, and then you see people being illogical. It, it Apparently, to a lot of people that do rescue work and shelter work, it makes them say, it's why I, quote, unquote, hate humans, and I would always prefer animals to humans. That's a oh, little I, bit of a I, strong yeah. reaction, right? Well, well, you know, let, let me just finish this, this one little bit, which is another reason why humans are just, like, not all humans, obviously, but when, this, when I had this cat and... She was indoors for four months. She started peeing blood. I took her to the vet. She had bladder stones. And on x-ray, we found something in addition to the bladder stones. She has two pellets lodged in her little body. One is about three millimeters away from her femur, and the other is in her belly, not too far from her aorta. I mean, either one could have either killed her in an instant or maimed her for life. And somebody, I guess, thought it was good sport to shoot at the cat, you know? You know, and, that's, and those are the things. Yeah, they're hor- it's, you know, it's really, it's important to mention it, that on so-called, you know, crowded, highly uh, congested, uh, all built up Long Island, that someone's out there with a BB gun or a pellet gun shooting cats for sport. I mean, this has historically been something, supposedly, boys did it, but I just think it's any sort of humans that that come from an environment where that is somehow tolerated, that any kind of active aggression towards animals might be considered as sport or 
uh, amusement. I When I had three amusement, cats, yeah. there were all tiny babies that were ready to be put into the incinerator near my house in Tuscany because oh. the way they they take care of stray animals uh, in in Italy, at least, I, I can't speak to France, is that they would drown litters of kittens in a bag sort of thing oh. that, because they didn't oh. believe in sterilization. They thought that was cruel to neuter or, or spay an animal. And it's not so, cruel to drown them? No, apparently not. That was their solution. Oh. And one of the kitties, so I took as many as I could. They were tiny little things, and the, the animal collection place was right next to this incinerator. I mean, with smoke coming out of the top, it was really grim. So I take the three of them, and one of them's white. And it didn't occur to me, we all know that white in nature is a very dangerous color because you can't camouflage at all. You can't hide. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're in the jungle or if you're in the fields of Tuscany where hunters think you could be bothering the nests of the songbirds that you, the hunter, want to kill and eat which is why the songbirds in Italy have been wiped out. Just think about that for a minute. And little Bianca, which was her name, the three of them were named after their colors because I was as inventive as a five-year-old. Bianca came back with her tail dragging and went to the vet. And they barely even have small animal vets in the countryside in Italy. It's it's still, it, it's, an, it's just a different cultural sensibility. And she was full of pellets. And something had Ugh. interrupted the, the nerves to her tail, which never could be raised up properly again. And it really, it's really quite horrifying, people shooting cats. So we, I mean, this isn't a show in which to get everyone all riled up and like, oh, those are just a few bad apples. Maybe they are. Or we don't want to hear depressing things. I just think it's important that if people are doing anything that you think isn't in the best interest of an animal, you figure out a way that doesn't put you in jeopardy with that person, right? Because people are kind of volatile nowadays to do something about it, whatever that might be. And what you did was great. The thing I want to say about bringing Midnight in and Sammy Cat being very cross with you, we've discussed it before on the show with, with Dr. Michael Maria Delgado on Cat Chat and on this show, the slow introduction, which can be two to four weeks or months. And that's the well, trick. It's been with cats. two and a half years. Yeah, and it's really interesting because before I saw that, I was thinking of you know finding a nicer you know finding a home for her without another cat or whatever. And I've always had this a very close relationship with Sandy Cat. And one of my things is people don't a lot of people don't communicate with their animals. They they don't because they don't expect their animals to understand. Right. I've always expected my cats to understand. So Sandy Cat. Was you know she I I think she even picked up on the fact that I was considering maybe all right Sam you win you know That's but when funny. I saw those pellets I came home and I said Danny she's staying we you're just gonna have to get over it and I started talking to her I said no we didn't need another cat but this cat needed us and we got to do that for people sometimes we just have to you know we have to just do the right thing and you know and it's she doesn't she doesn't like it. But she's, she, it's like sometimes the two of them are looking at each other across the hall and Sam will be in this sort of not really aggressive but not friendly posture. And, and I'll just say, guys, you're sisters. You've got to get along with each other. And they'll both look at me like, you know, and then Sam will kind of settle down and lie down with his scowl on her face. It's like, I don't want to. And Midnight will sit up and put her head down and like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. Aww. But it's like... 
they both listen to me because, and I think it's because I expect them to. I think I that is so early. touching. It sort of reminds me of when Midnight was first, you just told the story of she was on your doorstep and you said, just wait here for a minute, hon. I'll be back. I got to feed somebody else. <laughs> and you come back and she's like, I'm still here. Did what you said. I think I think a lot of us that are in this space of fascination with animals and wanting to write by them and learn more and learn from others and, you know, sort of pay it forward in a sense, which is what I hope in a sense we're doing in our rambling way, that definitely they understand. And if they don't understand all the English words, it doesn't really matter because the tone and the intention are absolutely evident to them. Oh, and, you definitely. know, think of how many people I, have two human daughters, that right, that are squabbling in the hall. She took my hair. Exactly. My, she took my hair ribbon. And it's, you know, it's the same thing. as if they were my kids. It yes. was the same kind of tone of voice. And, and you know, it's really funny. So I used to th- I had another cat, Zoe, and I used to think he was my C student. Like, all my other cats and kids were, like, A students. But really, you know, it wasn't that bright. It's okay. He was sweet. But then he lived with also with my golden. The golden died of lymphoma. And a year later, um, I'm, I'm looking at Zill. Or maybe it was just a few months later. Zilly used to beg at the table. And I'm holding up a little piece of chicken. And I said, hmm. I said, Zilly, sit. And he looked at me like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, Zilly, sit. And he looked at me like, sure, right. And I said, Zilly, you lived with that dog for 11 years. I know you know what Sid means. <laughs> and, you know, we had this staring contest for about 30 seconds, and he sat. And I gave him the chicken. We did it again. My son came downstairs, and I said, Dan, Zilly will sit for chicken. Watch. And he was like, Mom, you made him break the cat code. Don't ever do that again. That is so like, wonderful. Was it was like, I got it. Like, it didn't serve him for me to know that he understood everything. I think it is so but he lovely. Understood everything. Deborah, we've we've run out of time and I hope that people have enjoyed listening to a listener who said that she's always listened to followed my posts and looked at my podcasts and I I hope that others of you that have been doing that might feel comfortable joining me here on whatever topic you want that has to do with dogs, cats, or we can push it out into exotics since we have exotic pets now. It's just really a pleasure to talk to you, Deborah, and to have the freedom to just chat a bit about the things on our minds about pets. It doesn't always have to be, a, you know, a directed conversation with someone about their book or their study or their theory, because we all have our own wonderful stories to share with each other. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing the stories and for being a wonderful animal trainer. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. I also want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered effective natural ways to repel fleas, ticks, and other pests on her pets and around her home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without the harsh chemicals that can be harmful to your cats, your property, and the planet. This show is also supported by the privately developed Magic Fabric Pet Throws that trap hair, dirt, and moisture when cats get up on the furniture bed or your lap. Magic Fabric Pet Throws invite kitty cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes or furniture. A final pause up to Dr. Elsie's again for all the fine products they make and their unwavering support of my mission to make life better for each and every kitty cat and their people.